0: The Evolve with Pete Evans podcast is a conversation about my favorite ingredients for a healthy human experience. We take an informed look at topics that include nutritional and emotional well-being, as well as expanded consciousness. I love exploring the topics that are not traditionally taught at school and take a deep dive into them with my special guests. I invite you to sit back and come along for the ride with an open mind and heart and please share with your family and friends as these podcasts may just be the seed from which many things will flourish from. Cheers. We've been using Waters Co water filters for the last 10 years and I wholeheartedly trust my family's health with them. Waters Co., established 1977, have personal and domestic water filters, which turns your ordinary tap water into great tasting, alkaline, ionized mineral water, which removes up to 99.9% of fluoride, heavy metals, chemicals, and bacteria, so you can love your tap water again. The Bio 1000 is the latest edition of the BMP 1000 model, and the culmination of over 40 years of experience and research into water filtration by some of the world's leading scientists. Watersco Co. was first to market with natural gravity-fed systems, creating alkaline water way back in 1984, and have continued to lead the market in research and development, setting the benchmark for all other brands to follow. Please go to my webpage at PeteEvans.com to learn more and to receive your special discount from my link on the products page. You're going to love it. Adam Kavanagh is an adventurer seeking out wisdom from nature-based cultures globally and shares his experiences through Instagram on social media. Adam, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. How are you, my brother? Very well. Thank you, Pete. Thanks for having me on. Whereabouts in the world are you presently?
1: Actually, just at the moment, I am back at my home base in a place called Blackwater in central Queensland. And what's that like at the moment? It's pretty quiet, actually. It's a a small coal mining town, so...
0: I think it's pretty quiet in a lot of places around here. It's got this very interesting feeling out in the matrix at the moment, I guess. And The reason I invited you onto the podcast today is you are someone that basically likes to step out of what is considered mainstream into what I would call the natural world and envelop yourself in that with... All the tools that you have as a human being and I would love to explore them with you today if you're happy to uh, journey down that path with me, brother.
1: I'd love to go down the rabbit hole
0: of, of that Pete. <laughs> <laughs> you appeared in my I don't know in my presence I guess or my awareness a few years ago actually and I think it was a, a photo that popped up into my sphere and I think you might have uh, reached out or commented on something. I'm like, who's this guy?" And I clicked on you and all of a sudden I saw this man that wears very little clothes like myself, looks extremely fit and spends a lot of time outdoors in nature. And I would love to explore this. And what does nature mean to you and your connection to it? Oh,
1: well, where do I start? Well, I guess first off, yeah, I was pretty lucky as a kid. I've grown up sort of rural. Originally off a cattle property. I've been pretty lucky to spend a lot of time outdoors and i um, always grew up, you know, being in nature and especially on a cattle property, but also, you know, a lot of fishing and all that sort of stuff as a kid. And um, actually, <laughs> I was pretty well known uh, to my nan and pop because I'd always be uh, everyone that knew me actually at school and all that. When I was young, I was always um, turning over rocks or catching lizards or, you know, one of my nicknames when I was at school was a uh, nature boy, so I was, I was always, <laughs> I was always um, out, like you know, outside catching spiders and bringing them home. Yeah, my mum wasn't always impressed about some of the things I'd bring home, but always just being nature as a, as a child. And and I guess I was pretty lucky with my upbringing, you know, like where I'm from in sort of rural Australia. You know, literally, I'd, my backyard literally was just. You know, thousands of acres of nature. Also, when I was on the farm, that was also just thousands and thousands of acres of nature. And I don't know, like, I guess even as a kid, I just knew it was It's a pretty special place to be. And I, I don't even know how to really explain it, but I just have always had a connection with nature and always found it to be a healing place. Yeah. So, more my upbringing has really sort of started my love of nature. But yeah, as I've got older, I've, grown a deeper and deeper appreciation for it because, yeah, I've had a bit of a health journey and nature's been probably the biggest, <laughs> the biggest tool in helping me out, actually.
0: Let's actually try to paint a picture for people that may be listening from different parts of the globe about what central Queensland is like <laughs> because it, it might be very different from what
1: people would imagine. It's all sort of semi-dry bushland, lots and lots of cattle property. Uh, Actually, I'm two hours from Rockhampton, which is like the beef capital of Australia or Queensland, I think. Yeah, it's just lots and lots of cattle properties and also lots of coal mines. And that's pretty much it. It's All the towns are pretty small. Yeah, it's a pretty quiet little rural sort of area.
0: I know lots of people when they're growing up, they always think the grass is greener on the other side and growing up in a rural community like yourself, did you uh, have desires and dreams to venture into the city and uh, see what that was all about?
1: I actually didn't when I was young. Like, if anything, my dream was always to go even more remote <laughs> than what I was already doing. Like, it, that's always been my dream, has been to go more remote. I mean, I've spent a lot of time in the cities now, obviously, and I'm not too worried either way, but going more remote was actually my dream, funnily enough. <laughs>
0: When you say going more remote, what does that mean? Because that's something I want you to paint a picture for for the listeners at the moment because so many people are homebound, so many people are locked indoors or forced indoors at the moment, and going remote, something that you had the desire to do, probably I would say a lot of people now will be thinking, hmm, when's the next chance I get to go remote or or to explore this country and all it has to offer? Yeah,
1: so I'm um, also pretty lucky where I live in Blackwater. We have a pretty big river, not far from town. And um, not many people actually go out there, funnily enough. Everyone in town sort of like complains about There's nothing to do. But yeah, there's this beautiful river. Well, I actually spend a lot of time out there. I'd sort of call that remote. But my desire was, as far as remoteness goes, was always to go to far north. Australia like our whole top end is mostly indigenous communities and a lot of untouched land yeah it's, it was always my dream to go up there because there really is not many people at all except for you know the indigenous people in their communities so that was always my dream and in the last few years I've been spending most of my time up there living off the land with the indigenous people and that's pretty damn
0: remote. <laughs> When you say living off the land and with the Indigenous people, do you spend time by yourself in isolation or is it always with other human beings or is there periods of time where you self-isolate? So, isolation
1: is definitely nothing new to me. (laughs) I've spent months by myself up there. I'm pretty used to that. But yeah, when I'm up there, I kind of, yeah, like I'll spend a little bit of time with the Indigenous people, but usually they're always doing their own thing. Like we are never having to live in each other's pockets or anything like that. So, I mean, you have to have permission to go where I go up there. But, yeah, they give me permission and they just say go for it. So, yeah, I just go out into the wild and, yeah, I'll live for weeks on end living off uh, whatever food I can find up there. And, yeah, it's actually part of my journey. I've found that being that remote can be kind of a bit hippy-dippy, if you want to call it, but it can be pretty spiritual, actually, spending large amounts of time like that in isolation I mean it's obviously a different isolation to a degree being stuck in your house but being out there yeah it's like I I find it very peaceful actually being out there isolated
0: so when I'm wanting to get a, a grasp of what that isolation means for you so are there points in that journey for you that are pushing you beyond your comfort zone like where you like The fuck am I doing out here by myself in the middle of nowhere? What is the impetus or the the catalyst for you and the goal for you to put yourself in that situation when society trains us that we need to have this constant or human connection to be around other people? I'll give you a, a little example. I have friends that need to be around people every single day. Like, spending time by themselves puts them into a what i would call anxiety or depression or even panic to a point of, if i can define it like that whereas one thing that i've always been quite confident in is time by myself like i'm happy to spend time completely alone but i'm also happy to spend time with strangers and other human beings and also love spending time with my family my loved ones but for some just that notion of being by themselves can really be a triggering thing for people. So what is it that you seek out from putting yourself into that situation? And has it ever become uncomfortable for you?
1: Yeah, just on that, actually, that is something I've noticed among my friends. And I'm also a bit of a lone wolf, but that's probably not the right term to use anymore. Yeah, I've always been pretty comfortable by myself. and you know, being alone. definitely had a few friends myself that, yeah, like they really couldn't be alone. And in my journey, I definitely had to get more comfortable being alone because uh, especially when I started traveling Australia, none of my friends were really interested and, you know, they couldn't do things alone, most of them. But but yeah, I've just found like I've been lucky in a way by being a person that can spend time alone. Like I've, being able to spread my wings and head out traveling around and not not have to worry about having a companion or anything like that, if you know what I mean. And where I'm going with that is one thing I find with with people that, that are afraid to spend time alone and even with myself, when you do isolate or you spend a large amount of time alone, it can really trigger something off and sort of force you to witness yourself or look within yourself. And I definitely do see that a lot of people are pretty uncomfortable with that. <laughs> I don't know if that's why some people really don't like being alone because it like kind of you know it's kind of a distraction from really sitting with yourself when you are constantly with people and constantly having interactions but yeah like if you do give yourself that time just to be alone for a bit you know it really can be a good tool for growth and it really can force you to look within yourself. I mean a lot of people are starting to wake up to that now, I feel. And that's sort of where I go with that. And I haven't really had a situation yet where I've really needed interaction with other people just yet, but I'm always pushing the limits and pushing the boundaries of how long I'm out there by myself. So I'm sure it's going to
0: happen at some stage. I'd love to go a little bit deeper into this because so many of our sages and prophets and gurus out there tell us that really the only adventure we have in this life experience of being human is to get to know ourselves and that seems to be one of the most difficult journeys that we can partake on which is why we have so many distractions in our lives from social media to television to whatever it may be reading the newspapers blah 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 because all of these distractions keep us from journeying inwards to a degree. I would love to explore some of the tools that you use over the years that you have been self-isolating for people at the moment that are like, what the fuck am I going to do with myself? And because we're right at that early stage now of that self-isolation. And I would love for you to start I guess planting some seeds in ways people can sit with themselves in a space of curiosity. And I wonder if that word curiosity about yourself has played on your mind on your journeys (laughs) so far of who Adam Kavanaugh really is, you know, deep down to the bone, to the core, to the heart, to the soul, to the spirit, to the
1: essence. I'll go into my journey a little bit and I'll try to explain this to a degree. <laughs> I guess a few years ago, I really resonated with something I'd seen. I was, I was down in um, Victoria and I was walking through a uh, national park and I seen this sign. It said, uh, uh, it said something about, you know, like just about every tribe or nature based culture on the planet has had a tradition where they'll send their young out into the wild to survive uh, solo. And something really resonated with, with that with me. And I was like, wow, I wonder if I've been, you know, unknowingly trying to do that to myself because I feel in our modern day culture we really have no initiation or rite of passage. Well, we do have an initiation, you know, buy a house, have kids, get a good job. Like that seems to be our formal education. Yeah, like that's our initiation these days. And I'd always really resonated with the walk about that the traditional you know, Australians have. And, you know, it's like ever since I've been growing up, there's just been something about that aspect of that that I've been very drawn to. And I guess this modern day world, you know, like we try to self-initiate ourselves by going out and drinking a lot or being a womanizer or, you know, driving your car very fast or doing silly things like that or joining a gang or, you know, like I, I guess unknowingly people that, you know, we have no initiation, so I guess people are doing like pseudo-initiations these days.
0: Mm. It's nearly like they're pushing the limits of what the body or the mind can handle, like the binge drinking or the going fast. As you said, you know, it's nearly in our DNA to push our human limits, but we seem to be doing it in a, you know, some of us are doing it in a strange way, and I'm guilty of that in the past. You know, one of my bragging rights was like, I think I did 114 hours one week in the kitchen. And I was like, (laughs) I did that, you know, and I averaged 80 hours to 100 hours for 20 years. And then it was a how much can I drink in a night? How many drugs can I take in a night? Can I still be functioning and then go to work the next day? And it's like these pushing of the boundaries. But going back to what you were saying, maybe it is part of our DNA, but the way that I interpreted it because I didn't have a – Distinct path set out like so many indigenous cultures had, or rites of passage, as you said. So, if you can continue that, I, I'd love to hear where we go from here.
1: Yeah, exactly. I've gone down that rabbit hole, similar in a similar way. I, I used to be pretty destructive with my own health. You know, I'd be out drinking every weekend, and you're out to try to get bragging rights how much you drank. And we want to sort of be initiated, but we we really don't know. I don't think what we're doing and and I guess we all deep down know that, yeah, we're all searching for something more. I guess nature-based cultures around the world, I guess they knew when you when you got to a certain age, sort of there's a, there's a time in your life where, where those sort of initiations sort of feel like that you need or you're searching for. And they would, they'd, they'd send their young off out in the wild to survive and uh, the indigenous people in Australia call it walkabout. Well, it's the ultimate sort of initiation, I guess, and it's probably more... I guess it's probably still just as dangerous to uh, go out and survive in the wild to a degree. But yeah, like nature based cultures would send their young out to survive in the wild and not all of them would make it home. But I guess those that did would be more whole and more complete. And yeah, I guess to a degree, unknowingly, I've sort of been doing that to to myself out in nature when I've been out there. Yeah, like I, I guess it's still a constant journey for me, but it's something about that self isolation. It really does. Like you don't have distractions. We definitely can um, give ourselves distractions, whether it's TV or, you know, our phones or if we are self-isolated. But yeah, if you, if you really put down all the distractions and the TV and I've found this person when I've been out in nature, like, you know, no phone, no, no distractions, no nothing, just, just literally animals and trees and nature. And you really start to become more aware that there's a whole lot more going on out there than you think if you stop to, to really witness it. Amazing, crazy things can happen. I think for me personally, I don't seem to get so lonely because, as weird as this is probably going to sound, I definitely feel I have a bit of a connection with trees and animals. And in some ways, I feel there's definitely some kind of communication happening there. Like, obviously, not talking to the animals yet. I'm not that batshit crazy just yet. But um, like, there's definitely like some communication going on there. And I mean, I've had some pretty crazy experiences. You know, out, out of my time up on Indigenous land, and, and it's just really made me comfortable in, in being alone because I guess technically I've realized I'm not really alone up there, if that makes any
0: sense at all. Let, let's explore that a little bit further. So, yeah. you were in Victoria, you're walking through the forest, you saw the sign or you read about the native based cultures having their, having their initiation or rites of passage or going walk about like the Indigenous in Australia talk about and practice what happened to you because you talk about a health journey and how this way of life has has changed you so tell us about what health issues you had and what was the i guess the formula or the solution for you to where you are now and do you have any health issues currently yeah sure uh, when i was
1: about 19 i started in the coal mines because basically if you live in this area you know if you're not really in the mines like why would you be in this area so i went along with that mentality and yeah, I spent about nine years in the coal mines, and near the end of my time in the mines, well, I guess let's go right down the rabbit hole. Yeah, so I'd been in the mines for like nine years, and a couple of years before I actually quit, I went overseas to travel Europe. And when I was in Amsterdam, I was um pretty straighty one like pretty straighty one eighty. <laughs> um, I was pretty quiet as far as drugs and alcohol went in my time growing up. But, uh, like, I definitely used to drink a hell of a lot. But when I was in Amsterdam, I don't know, I just had this uh, thought, this urge to eat some mushrooms. I was so naive. Like, in my head, I'm like, oh, what could possibly go wrong? You know, I, I don't even know why I had the urge. But I thought, yeah, like, this will be a bit of a laugh. So I definitely did it with the wrong intention. So I went and bought some mushrooms, truffles, actually. And they were very, very, very strong. And uh, not really knowing anything about them at all or even asking for advice or anything, I, I ate this whole box and um, <laughs> I went on a bit of a journey for a few days. So I don't know if it was meant to last that long, but I definitely overdid it by, by a long
0: shot. <laughs> when, when you say you went on a journey for people that haven't experienced a hallucinogenic or an entheogen or a psychedelic as they're known, what does a journey mean and what Did you discover about you or the universe in that experience, that first experience? Because I've never ever done anything like that before in my life.
1: Like I just was not prepared for it. But basically, it forced me to look inside myself exactly the same experience I've sort of had in nature. Obviously, this was a lot different and a lot stronger. But yeah, I guess something happened. Like I really got forced to look within myself and we know trips as being a bad trip or a a good trip. And for me, I guess there was a lot of work to do. So my first experience was very negative. At the time, I would say it was negative, but I actually, at the end of it, I had a very positive experience. Yeah. So at the end of it, I definitely like, I'd just never done anything like that before. And I was like, holy crap, I'm never, ever doing that again. (laughs) And that that was my feeling at the time. And it's funny in a way, since I did that, I actually have not Touch drugs since <laughs> since I did that, like it. Just something happened within me, and I knew I was like, okay, my body doesn't seem to tolerate these very well. Just with that first experience, like I mean, I touched a few things before, and um, nothing too extreme happened. But doing that, I just knew I was like, okay, this maybe this isn't my path. Like maybe I need to look for something else. So I did a few more years in the mines. Yeah, I just I started to develop really bad anxiety and depression along with a hyperthyroid condition and at the time it honestly just I'd never experienced depression or anxiety or panic attacks or anything like that before and it just really rocked the boat and I just kind of knew I'm like there's something wrong here like what's what's going on so I went to the doctors and at the time they couldn't really help me much out in the sort of rural areas here so I ended up Discovering paleo, thankfully, uh, to yourself. <laughs> hmm. And I bought a few cookbooks and I started going on a paleo journey. And then I sort of realized I'm like, wow, like the cleaner the food I eat, the more sort of connected I am. And, you know, especially being in nature, like I feel like more connected. And just in life, I was like, wow, like I feel more open to experiences. And it definitely had triggered something in me. And I didn't really know what it was, but I just knew that whatever my path was, was not so much psychedelic drugs. At this stage, so around my health crisis, yeah firstly I went paleo and that really started to clear things up and then um, I knew I was like, okay like I'm not happy in the minds. what am I doing here? And I guess some people would call it the hero's journey. I don't know whatever the case I, I just knew I was like okay, like this something within me was calling me to to get off my butt and go on a bit of a journey. so I quit my job. And started traveling Australia, and the first place I went immediately was north into the indigenous areas because of my longing to to sort of spend time up in the remote areas and yeah, so I headed that way, and then it's definitely sort of triggered something in me to yeah, realize how important nature is and, and a deeper connection with nature, and then like the paleo and the health aspect of it. Has definitely added to that with the, you know, longing to learn more knowledge about plants and animals because yeah, as you go down the the uh, um, holistic food path or just natural whole food path, you know, I sort of realized I'm like, oh damn, like the power food could have on my mind and you know making my mind clearer. So when I went paleo, all my health issues went away, which blew me away. So yeah, I just took a risk and quit, and then. Jumping back to being up north, so I'm up there, and yeah, I'm I'm longing for time in nature, that kind of walkabout experience, unknowingly eating, you know, natural foods, and just being lucky with the background of of where I grew up to have the knowledge of fishing and hunting, and yeah, really put it into full force and just started spending a lot of time up there alone in nature and and yeah i've just found it a very healing experience because as well as the food healing me i started to spend more time in nature and I, and i i'm not sure which one helped me out more was it the food or was it nature but or is it combined but yeah like i I've, I've just found that whole experience to be so important to me
0: and yeah i
1: just feel really connected with all that now and
0: yeah <laughs> <laughs> no, th- thanks for sharing. I want to ask you a question here because I had a fella on the other day called Bill Giles and he's in his 70s and he spent three years living with an indigenous community. I think it was uh, far north Queensland or central Queensland. And what he found fascinating was that the hunting and gathering that was done by the communities up there was the majority of the food that they ate was the hunted food. And to a point, this is what he said, the vegetables or the, the plant-based materials were sort of the secondary, Or and he said they called it rubbish food. Now, what have you experienced on your journeys living out by yourself and also with the wisdom of the elders about what foods are really, really good for human beings? And what do you go for first and foremost? Yeah, okay. So, In
1: my journeys in the last few years, I've found um, something happened to me and my body started to not tolerate plants so much. And, you know, I thought, like, in my head, I was like, oh, no, like, I'm, you know, I'm doing paleo wrong and I'm doing something wrong. So at the time, I started eating more and more plants because that, you know, that seems to be the way that culture is going at the moment, where, you know, more and more people are going vegan and, we're thinking that's the best option for ourselves. So when something happened to me, it was just say so out of the blue, I thought, oh, you know, I've been doing this for years. I've been fine. Like why all of a sudden is my body starting to have a negative effect? Well, at the time, I thought it was meat actually giving me a negative effect. So I went more plant-based and I got worse. And I thought, what is going on here? So I heard about Dr. Sean Baker and a few other carnivore sort of people. And I thought, oh, that's a bit too extreme. Like if I don't eat plants, I'm going to die. <laughs> But uh, I got to that that stage where I started to eat a little bit less plants and eat more meat and my issues went away. And I was like, okay, this is pretty interesting. This really goes against what the massive culture sort of movement is at the moment. So anyway, I thought, oh, well, I've got nothing to lose. If I don't eat plants for a bit and I die, well, you know, so be it. I was at that stage where I just really thought I had no options left. I thought I'm going to give this a shot. I've got nothing to lose. So I went carnivore. And uh, very heavily meat-based and yet again, all my health issues went away. And I thought, okay, this is crazy. And, and if anything, I've a, I actually felt better doing mostly carnivore than I ever did going like a heavy sort of plant-based diet on paleo. And I thought, what is going on here? So at the moment, I'm more, yeah, mostly carnivore. And it seems to be the best thing for me at the moment. I'm very open to, to either way you know, whatever someone thinks is the best for them. Um, I don't judge anyone for what they eat. But yeah, now that I've spent a lot of time with the indigenous people in remote Australia and, uh, and seeing what they eat, they really focus on the organ meats, especially like wallabies and fish and mostly animals. Like they never really talk about the plant foods. And I thought that's pretty interesting. And the further I've gone on my health journey, I've sort of really develop the mindset uh, when it comes around like what should we eat and I'm thinking like no one really knows anymore like what do we eat like people are preaching that vegan's the only way or then we do have people that like carnival is the only way but in my mind I'm like okay like what really are we meant to be eating so the more time I spend with the indigenous people I, I really figure following what they eat is probably the best way like mostly meats because uh, especially in far North Australia, a lot of the plants are really only available for a few months of the year, uh, depending on the season. So probably around the wet season, there'd be a lot of plant foods. And then following that, a lot of the plants in Australia are highly toxic. So you actually do run the risk of you know poisoning or killing yourself if you don't prepare our plants in Australia properly. And I thought, okay, well, that's pretty interesting as well. So, yeah, in my time with the indigenous people, they really focus on the meats. And, yeah, uh, I'd really say so I agree with you that, yeah, like they uh, agree with your friend that they really do, don't consider plants the most nourishing of the foods. Yeah, I'd have to say in my own personal journey sort of following a more meat-based hunter-gatherer diet like they have been eating seems to be very beneficial for me. Yeah, I guess I have tried a few times to add plants back in, and even at the moment, I I went through another phase and I thought, okay, like I'm gonna I'm gonna give this a crack and have a try at adding plants back in. And yeah, my body really just wants a heavily meat based sort of more hunter gatherer diet at this stage, and that's what I'm finding with my body, and and it seems to be what they used to do.
0: I want to talk to you about hunting then. You live off the land when you do go into these areas. And as you said, what's the longest you've been well, up there looking after yourself in one stint? Yeah, I've been up there for a couple of months. When you go out there to, to live off the land, how do you reconcile what you're going to hunt? How are you going to eat it? How are you going to preserve it or store it? So... For instance, if you're taking down a large animal, potentially you won't be able to eat all of that. So how do you go through this process to best work with and I guess respect the animals that you are hunting?
1: A lot of people are pretty disconnected from their food these days. You you go to the shops, you buy your meat, it's in a packet. No one really worries about where did that come from or anything like that. But when you're out there, in the wild and you're having to do it yourself you really gain a respect for what you're actually doing to take an animal's life is no small thing like it's a pretty powerful thing to do and when you have to go there and do it you, you really gain a larger respect for life and i've been yeah very lucky that, that that's the way i i've uh, been on my journey and and over my time yeah i'm, I'm very uh, selective about what i'll go and hunt and and usually to be honest it, it a lot of my time when I'm up there, like I really am surviving. So the options aren't great <laughs> usually. And in Australia, we're pretty lucky. So when I'm up there, I'll either go do fishing or I'll do bow hunting because uh, yeah, we're pretty lucky in Australia. We're lucky and unlucky in a way. We've got a lot of pest species or non-native animals and legally, you're allowed to hunt them with a bow. And in far north Australia, there's a lot of those animals. So when I'm up there and on the land that I'm on, there's there's a lot of these pest species that aren't native to Australia there. I'll uh, track them down and hunt them with my bow. But uh, I tend to, if I'm going to hunt something larger, like a wild scrub cow or the scrub cattle, I'll usually tend to do that with the indigenous people because we'll divide it up and share it. So then there's not so much wastage. But uh, I guess if I'm by myself, I'll tend to eat more of the like, fish, or there's like these large mud snails called mud whelk, like I'll eat them, or I'll just eat sort of the smaller foods that aren't going to go to waste.
0: Let's talk through some of the uh, native species that you've eaten, just to give people an idea, because I read this very compelling dissertation, I think is the right word, or essay from a university professor, Griffith University, many years ago by an anthropologist or an environmental scientist. And what they were saying was, one good way to fuck up this country is to keep eating foods that's not native to us and the introduction of different hoof species can be challenging for the ecosystem here, even though I'm a big proponent of eating pasture-based animals. Like at the moment, some of the thoughts that go possibly through many people's head is how are we going to access food? Have we got enough food here? Have we got a scarcity problem with this lockdown? And if import-export gets shut down, what do we have that can sustain us as 26 million people on this island continent my first thought goes back to this paper that this woman wrote about you know if we really want to bring this country's ecosystem and environment to its best possible outcome. It's to really put a focus back onto native foods, but especially native animals, such as the kangaroo, the wallaby, as you mentioned, and and other species that are native to here because they work in harmony with the seasons and the environment and the land. So let's talk about some of the different species that you have eaten and just to paint a picture of what is possible.
1: So I've been pretty lucky. Spending time with the indigenous people has given me access to eat a lot of pretty far out there animals. Yeah, I've eaten uh, like goanna, and surprisingly, that is amazing. Wallaby is amazing. I love kangaroo. Prefer wallaby over kangaroo. Um, I've eaten possums. I've eaten a lot of the native species when I've been with the indigenous people, and they are—they're absolutely awesome. I mean, like obviously, you're not allowed to. <laughs> Eat native species. Well, you can eat the kangaroo. I mean, obviously, if you have a license to go get them, or uh, like a lot of the shops have it now. But yeah, I I think it'd be very sustainable as far as the kangaroos go. Like, I know so many of them go to waste because, as far as farmers go, they see them as a bit of a pest in some areas. And I think a lot of kangaroos do go to waste. We could be eating them, but I guess our perception of those foods is like, oh, wow, it's a kangaroo. You can't eat that, or it's a possum, you can't eat that. But yeah, I guess it would really help Australia if we did focus on those foods. If we were eating them sustainably and focusing more on their population, yeah, you're right. Like, I guess we would start to heal the land a little bit if we went back to more traditional native Australian foods for sure.
0: Is there, and this is what I've heard, and it makes a lot of sense about the energetic nature of the animals that we eat. So you're hunting everything that's wild. I don't think you're getting anything from the wild that is domesticated or in a docile state. Maybe docile isn't the right word. It depends on what you're capturing. But is there any difference in how you feel from eating something that is... Wild compared to say when you're back home and eating say cattle that have been raised on a farm, have you noticed any difference? Yeah, definitely. Like on an energetic
1: level, eating the wild foods that have been just living normal, natural lives. Yeah, like I'd have to say, even as far as like my energy levels after eating those foods is always improved. Like my skin, my health, my vitality is always way better when I'm when I'm eating natural foods for sure, like wild foods, I always feel 100% better. And one thing that I have found to be weird is there is a few bush plants that I know that I tolerate quite well and that I know aren't toxic. And when I seem to eat them, I don't tend to have any stomach issues. And I, I choose to eat basically mostly only organic plant foods as well when I do buy them. But I have found that yeah, that seems to be the native wild plants I seem to be okay with. It's just anything I seem to buy from any shops, I tend to have some issues. So I do find it pretty interesting that like on an energetic level of what we're eating, Like I just seem to be better and function a lot more on wild foods.
0: Mm. I studied with the Institute for Integrative Nutrition about nearly a decade ago and one of the chapters or one of the talks that I listened to was about the energetic nature of food, whether it be plants or animals and what we are absorbing from the wild from that spirit and the spirit or energy from plants or animals turns into us. So when we're living in a domesticated environment, like I'm in Sydney at the moment and we go to the supermarket or the butcher, the majority of the foods that we have access to. Nothing is really wild. So we could correlate that to being in a sedentary energetic state because the foods that we're eating are pretty docile as well. You know, Nothing's being hunted. I just had David Avocado Wolf on the podcast and he was talking about that. And he's a vegetarian slash vegan. And he compares the vegetables that he buys in the supermarket to the wild foods that he can forage. And he says, you know, The wild is a thousand times more potent and powerful than anything you'd ever find in the grocery store. And just to wrap that up, one of my favorite films I've ever seen, and I encourage every single person to watch it, it's got Viggo Mortensen in it and it's called Mr. Fantastic. I think it's called.
1: Oh, great movie. Yeah, that's an absolutely great movie.
0: And the first five minutes of that film is he's raising his children out in the wild and it's the most powerful and profound scene because as a family, they're all working together, the four of them, I think it is three kids and the dad, they're all hunting this one stag or one deer. And it's the initiation or the rite of passage for his teenage son to actually be the one to take this animal down and then to eat it. And fast forward into the film when they have to get back into modern day society, they're driving along the road and they stop and they see a farm with sheep in it, I think it is, or cattle. And... The daughter goes to, with her bow and arrow, I think it is, goes to shoot the sheep and she can't do it. She's like, how can I kill something that's just standing there (laughs) instead of that whole thing that started the film where it's actually they're hunting, they're running, their heartbeat is like the same as the animal that they're hunting. So it's this whole beautiful scenario there. And I want to talk to you about that. What goes through you I'm not talking about fishing here, even though I love fishing and catching fish and cooking them. But when you are hunting something in the wild that is wanting to escape from you, or you're traveling distances to keep up with, or to get into that situation of killing, what is that like for you? How alive do you feel in that moment?
1: It's actually weird in a way. So, in a way, like I can totally understand why people would go plant-based for, you know, like not wanting to eat animals and stuff. But when, when I'm out in nature and you really become aware of nature and you see the cycle of life, like it's extremely brutal and beautiful at the same time. And when I'm out there, like, I just feel that I become part of that cycle. And in a way, like it makes me feel okay with, you know, with eating animals because, you know, I'm probably really going to regret saying this right now, (laughs) When I've been out in nature, I've really noticed. So if I have my bow and I am in a hunting mindset, the animals will know. The wild animals, like I, def- like I don't hunt anything domesticated, I only hunt wild, but the wild animals will know. It's like this sixth sense they have. So they'll be very alert and very aware. And like just the feeling of that, like you literally become a predatory animal and it is this feeling you cannot describe. It's not like I don't know, it's like this very natural state. And you just literally you become part of the environment, part of nature, part of the circle of of life, I guess. And you just become part of nature. And animals will they'll treat you exactly like any any other animal, you know, like if, if you get too close, you'll you'll get attacked. But in saying that, when I've gone out into nature and I'm not in a hunting mindset, like I'm literally Maybe like I've got my camera or I'm just walking around, no intention of hunting. Animals will treat me very differently. So I've literally had like a bird come and land on my head and pluck hairs out of my head to make a nest. And um, as crazy as that sounds, like I've had some really crazy animal interactions when I've been out there and like I've had dingoes come right up to me, like literally just a couple of meters away and, I didn't feel unsafe or anything like that. I did not have a hunting mindset to hunt those animals and they have treated me very differently when I've been out there. Like, so I guess if you watch any animal documentaries, like sometimes you'll see the lions walking past the zebras like a couple of meters away and you know there's nothing going on because like they're not actively hunting. It's a pretty profound and beautiful experience to be part of when you're out there.
0: So what you're saying is the animals are picking up on your energy. Exactly, exactly. I've got a question for you then, because part of going back to what we were saying earlier, part of our journey as human beings is to go inwards. That is the journey, to know ourselves. Throughout history and through this spiritual exploration of self, we have been told from our gurus to practice mindfulness and being in the present moment and shutting down our thoughts so we are completely present at all times. And now a lot of those teachings come with the sort of premise of do no harm, eat a plant-based diet from my understanding. You know, that's how when I grew up, you know, whatever the movements were, it was that sort of ideology, which I understand and I respect. But I have to ask you the question when you are in that hunting mindset, are you in a meditative state? Are you fully present, fully aware? Would you define yourself as being completely in touch with your soul and spirit and the universe and the environment in that space? And is that equally as powerful as meditation or is it something that transcends that?
1: Oh, great. Yeah, I'd love to share this actually. So I've been very lucky myself to stumble across like the Wim Hof method and heart math uh, breathing techniques and meditative techniques myself. So I've been lucky in a way to experience it. But yeah, I guess in some of those circles, there's this belief that you have to be uh, to a degree more plant-based, say to be more clear in my time out in nature Actually, the, the the most profound experience of my life happened when I was out there for like two months and I'd been fasting for a few days. So I've been carnivore, heavily meat based, and I did some breathing, I'll call it DMT breathing. I did a few rounds of this breathing, DMT breathing, and then all of a sudden, like I literally like I melted into the earth and the earth melted into me. And even on my like psychedelic experience in Amsterdam. It was nothing like this. This was more like raw and pure and primal. And I literally, I just, I like just, I just felt I'm like I'm connected, like everything's going to be okay. Like even with all the chaos that's happening in the world at the moment, like my soul just said to me, it's like everything's going to be okay. And it was just this really crazy experience that I had. And just to literally, like it just felt like I was part of nature and it was part of me and everything. Everything is connected and everything is going to be okay. It was, it was the, the strangest experience I had. But to be completely meat-based
0: and do that, yeah, <laughs> it was a crazy experience. So in that space, and, and this is a question that I've got for you, with Dreamtime and Indigenous spirit, have you learned to anything from the Indigenous about Dreamtime? Did they have to use anything like a plant medicine to get into those higher states of being? Or is it part of each and every one of us? And like you said, you can just connect to nature through breathing and have that oneness that so many people experience through plant medicine journeys.
1: So what I have found is, like say I'm in civilization, I'm around towns, I'll tend to do more meditation or Wim Hof breathing to, to really uh, calm my mind. But when I'm in nature, I... I I find that I don't have to do anything like just being out there and living off the land and surviving literally just feels like its own meditation. Like I don't actually have to do anything. If, if if that makes sense, like I just slip into some kind of state. And as far as the dream time, I'm not too sure. Like there's definitely this massive connection that indigenous people have with the land and animals like and even in my time with the indigenous people like I'll be out in the bush and they'll look over and they'll be like oh there's you know there's some animals over there and like I th- I think I'm pretty good at tracking animals and and finding them in the in nature and I'll be like oh there's nothing there and you know I'll walk over and and just their connection with the land is just absolutely amazing they really have a lot of like animal symbols and animal meanings and special places like there's some places you can't go because of you know spirits or I've been lucky to experience a few things and know a few things. I don't know if, if our culture can completely understand some of their ways, but I think maybe we're we're definitely wanting to. And like maybe <laughs> at the moment, like maybe it's what we really need is to get back to that connection to nature. And yeah, it's definitely a pretty beautiful uh, connection they have to the land. And as far as their dream time I'll be honest, like I, I want to go spend more time up there to learn more and, and know as much as I can. But yeah, like I really feel their dream time, the stories they share and, and their song lines they, they call, it. it's like a really great way that they explain their connection with the land and their stories. So yeah, I've been pretty lucky to uh, yeah witness and
0: experience some of that. Quick question. Could you survive those months just on plant-based foods that you forage?
1: I know the body can survive for a long time without food and depending on the plants, um, definitely I could eat plants and (laughs) survive to some degree, but with what I know and what I have tested ahead of myself, like I've I've done some pretty extreme survival (laughs) and I would have to say long-term over a few months, there's no way. There's no way I could, I could survive, no.
0: When you do hunt and you talk about the organ meats uh, you mentioned earlier, what do you think are the most beneficial and which is the ones that the indigenous and you go for first or maybe not first or <laughs> which is the ones that you love to eat the most that you probably have found is really surprising after your experience of coming from, I guess, domestic world into the wild?
1: Just off that, I'll, I'll quickly just touch on another indigenous uh, dream thing. Mm-hmm. So they have their dreaming. They'll dream of an animal that they are not allowed to eat. If they eat that animal that they dream of, they'll get sick. Like I've been out with the indigenous people and I'll see an animal, they'll be like, oh, look, there's a guenna and um, they'll be like, oh, I can't eat it. It's my, my dreaming animal. Or, you know, I'll get sick if I eat that or it might be a turtle. Or It's just really diverse. But, yeah, like they'll have a dream and they'll have an animal like, I was lucky enough, I was adopted by the indigenous people. Yeah, my Wawa, or you will know for a brother, he had to go away for a few days and dream of my name, actually, which was really cool. So he came back after a few days and called me Munguru, which means water. And it's uh, pretty funny because my star sign's a water sign.
0: I was like, wow. The parts of the animal that you now. Has it changed over your time from growing up in a I guess a western style home to living on the land?
1: I was pretty lucky. actually, when I grew up on the farm, we ate a lot of the organ meats. To be honest, when I was little, liver was something that I didn't want to touch when we were you know mustering or branding the cattle. um unknowingly, we used to eat the calf testicles, which, um, a family would call prairie oysters and we actually, actually at the time when we were young we didn't really realize what we were eating actually very delicious but now really for me liver is my main organ meat that I love to eat and I will say like when I go buy an organ meat especially like liver from the shops, it does not taste the same. And I can see why people get put off organ meat. So you'll go buy something and it'll have like this really strong smell or really strong taste. But when you eat something wild and fresh, it's actually very delicious. And, and that's for all organ meats actually. So yeah, I've, I've pretty much eaten every organ meat and spending time with the indigenous people, they're like pulling organs out of the animal I didn't even know existed. and And I've got to try them. And I, I'm yet to have something that I don't like yet, but I would say heart and liver is my go-to.
0: And is that raw? Do you eat it raw or do you eat it cooked or a mixture of both? Uh, yeah, I've eaten things raw,
1: but I, I do prefer to cook them. So the Indigenous people, when we go out hunting, like they'll just throw food straight in the fire or on the hot coals and that definitely is a better, far better way to eat, eat them, I
0: reckon. And I want to talk about something that could be a little bit controversial. How do you protect yourself from the sun when you're out there. You seem like a guy that's, (laughs) you know, if you're spending a lot of time and uh, having white skin, how do you go about it? And what are you drinking when you're on the land? Is it just water? And talk to us about the other pillars of health. And I'm interested about the sleeping, the circadian rhythm that you get into as well. So let's talk about sleeping, beverages, and also how you protect yourself from the sun or if you do. So
1: Pete, I think I heard on one of your podcasts the other day when certain people go paleo, they find that they stop getting sunburnt, mm-hmm. And I found that to be my own personal experience. I have spent my whole life you know, not being able to go in the sun at all, being very, very pale and pasty. And around the time I went paleo, I actually stopped using sunscreens with some of the research that I'd done possibly finding that sunscreens are probably more dangerous than being in the sun itself. So yeah, I stopped using sunscreens and going paleo, I actually stopped getting sunburnt. But in saying that I do find if I do push it to extreme, uh, like spend too long out in the sun with no shirt in another country, I sort of start from scratch and I have to build my tolerance up there again. But in Australia, I can basically have my shirt off all day here and I won't get sunburnt. So when I'm overseas and I need some sun protection, I'll either use mud or I'll uh, use ash out of a fire. They're my go-tos for sun protection.
0: Wow. Okay. That's a a new one for me. So Interesting. Interesting. I don't want to go down the rabbit hole about different countries because maybe that's uh, (laughs) for a different podcast. But let's talk about sleep and are we so disconnected and what do the tribal indigenous, how did they work with their sleep patterns and also your drink of choice when you're you're out there for weeks or months on end? Yeah. So for me personally, I'll just drink water.
1: Yeah, very basic. But when you're out there, I don't tend to take much with me. So I just have whatever I can find. I'll generally just have uh, just water. There is a few plants you can have or put in in, in the water to make like a tea, but I just find to stay hydrated. I'll just have water and sleep. So one thing I found, especially the reason I actually quit the mines was because of shift work and being awake all night. I just found that my health just could not get back to being 100% while I was doing that. So being out just in everyday life, I actually have a, a rhythm that I follow, but especially when I'm out in, in remote areas off-grid, I'll literally... If you really listen to nature, there's like an alarm clock in it and also like a bedtime uh, bell I'll literally go to sleep when the kookaburras do their roll call. Like a lot of animals, they'll have like a roll call. So like just before sun sets or just after sunset, a lot of the birds will do like a call. Wild animals will do a call as well. Like you'll hear the dingoes call right at sunset as well sometimes. But yeah, literally as soon as I hear the kookaburras, I'm like, oh, it's time for bed. And then uh, in the morning, I'll wait for that same call again. So I'll hear the kookaburras go off and I'm like, oh, well, it's time to wake up. And um, so literally, yeah, I'm going to bed when the sun sets and I'm waking up. Just before the sun rises, and I seem to find that that's the best thing for me to do.
0: Wow, I, I love the kookaburras too, and uh, when I hear them, it's it's so funny. Sometimes I think they're laughing at me, but ah, uh, <laughs> <it's, laughs> oh, I love it. So to finish this up, I mean, I've I've loved this chat so much, Adams, and thanks for being so open and honest. Yeah,
1: yeah, thanks, Pete.
0: What do you think at this particular point in time for people that are feeling? and I don't want to use the word trapped, but let's just say there are some certain restrictions that are in place and your advice for people that are experiencing a new stage of and are somewhat trapped at home, what bits
1: of advice could you give? We've definitely got very comfortable in our lives at the moment and we've definitely been shaken up. And one of the biggest tips that I can give and it's what I use when I'm out in nature is, you know, it, it can suck at times. It can be brutal, it can be painful. But if you learn to lay into that and learn to enjoy the suck, whether that, you know, be like a very cold night, a very hot night, hot day, flies, you know, you get used to being uncomfortable. And I think that can really help. Like, I mean using that for what's happening at the moment. I mean, like, you know, a lot of people probably are trapped inside and it's uncomfortable, but if you can kind of lean into it and really go with it and explore it, I think it's a good, it's it's, it's a good way to, to explore yourself as well. But also, I mean, if you can go lay in your backyard on the grass or in your garden or something, there's just something about plants and being in the dirt. That's also very calming and healing. And yeah, one of my biggest tips for people, I guess there's a lot of concern and Madness in some shops, you know, people panic buying and stuff. You know, I've survived for a very long time without food, like a few weeks actually. So I'm pretty calm in that fact that I know that I'm going to be okay. As long as I have some water, I'm actually going to be okay. And I think if people know that, then it's actually a little bit calming and you'll have a little bit of peace of mind if you know that the human body actually is very adaptable and and it's built to survive. So For me personally, I I find that pretty calming. Just having a little bit of nature time, getting a little bit of sun, laying in the dirt if I can, and knowing that yeah, I can live a very long time without food if I have to. But it may obviously have like a pre-existing health condition might be different.
0: (laughs) So, where's the next adventure for you, Adam?
1: Well, I've been travelling Australia for for almost four years now, and you know I hadn't planned on travelling this long, but uh, my next adventure is I'm actually going to go head north with my bow. Just go survive again. And that's that's where I want to be, what I want to do, yeah.
0: Two questions for you. Toilet paper, do you use it when you're out in the bush? <laughs> what do you use? Or don't you need to use anything? <laughs>
1: <laughs> to be honest, I don't use toilet paper when I'm out in the bush because even if I do buy a few rolls, because I'm out there so long, it doesn't last. So uh, I guess that's another thing everyone should know. Have a quick shower, or um, sticks and
0: leaves work great too. (laughs) Sticks and leaves, I love it (laughs) because we've existed for millions of years without toilet paper. Not to be crass here, but I know that when I'm eating a really good diet, I actually don't need to use hardly anything. (laughs) This week, I was like one sheet. (laughs) I was like (laughs) uh, that roll's going to last me a good year or two. uh, Defending, and and the last thing: Do you take people on these journeys with you? Well, actually, Pete, thanks for asking. Um, I plan to. Yes, I've,
1: I've had a heck of a lot of people message me lately about wanting to to come out into nature with me, and uh, being very fortunate lately to have a few other opportunities thrown my way. But but yes, I, I definitely um going to be available to take people out with me.
0: And what would it take for anybody that's listening to this? What would be the mindset that you would encourage them to have if they're like, "Fuck, I'd love to come out and, and spend some time." Experiencing nature, what's the one piece of travel advice that you'd give them? I think if people were going to come out with me, <laughs> they would
1: have to get used to being uncomfortable because living out in nature with nothing is not always a walk in the park. So, I mean, you get to a stage where you do learn to love it. And yeah, it's something that I love. But yeah, just get, get used to being uncomfortable learn to like the suck and then you're going to be you're going to be just fine
0: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, awesome brother this has been a great chat and uh, very timely and i really appreciate everything that you're doing and i love you brother and uh i will be on that list to come out and spend some time with you down the track for sure i love you Pete. thanks mate cheers brother see ya If you would like to become a qualified health coach, then the Institute for Integrative Nutrition, or IIN for short, can help you achieve your goals. I completed the health coaching course many years ago, which has been one of the catalysts for my own journey into what I now love to do, which is to help people achieve greater health through the sharing of information through my books, seminars, podcasts, TV shows and films. I recommend IIN for anyone wishing to pursue a career in the health coaching and wellness space. IIN is a one-year course, so that if you're a full-time worker, busy parent, or wherever you are in your life, it is flexible enough so you'll be able to complete all the required curriculum. Please see the link included in the podcast show notes or my website to access the free sample class and first module of their program. This will give you a great taste of the format as well as the structure, and you can also utilize my special discount that I can offer you if you decide to sign up. Make sure you tell the admissions team that you're part of the Pete Evans Tuition Savings to claim your very substantial discount. Please visit integrativenutrition.com or email admissions at integrativenutrition.com. The information, views and opinions expressed in this podcast should not be treated as a substitute for nutritional, medical or other advice by a qualified professional. Guests in this podcast express their own opinions, experiences, and conclusions. Nothing in this podcast should be used to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any medical condition. Neither Pete Evans nor any sponsor endorse any views, opinions, or conclusions expressed or shared in this podcast.